In January, we set out to teach the Book of Galatians in these communion services. I'll be taking the first few sessions and then we'll be handing over to a group of guys who'll be using these sessions, these teaching moments in Galatians as their training ground, as they learn to preach and handle the Word of God. And so next month in March, we'll hand over to that group of guys who will be taking us through the rest of the series. Our first session last month in January looked at the introduction of the letter. Specifically, we found out that Paul was writing to the church in Galatia after hearing that they were deserting the truth of the gospel that Paul had taught them. He was surprised at how quickly they were deserting, but he wasn't surprised at the reason, that being religious leaders who were teaching that the gospel Paul taught was false because Paul himself was a false teacher. As we go into today's passage, really looking at the latter half of chapter one, I want you to see two very distinct things. Paul's defense to these accusations is Jesus. And we're encouraged to live, talk, act, and think Jesus. At the very core of the gospel is Jesus. And that is why we join together today for communion so that we can be obediently partaking in communion to express Jesus and the gospel truth of salvation in him. So what I want you to see in chapter one is this is Paul declaring the gospel message of Jesus is not only true, but it's the only message that we have to share. And so we're going to pick up today in Galatians chapter one and from verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now the phrasing here for I would have you know at the beginning of this verse comes from the Greek word norizo. And norizo means to certify. Paul wanted to make sure that the church was certain in their mind about the gospel that Paul preached and his authority to preach it. Remember, the church in Galatia are departing from the truth. They're being led astray. So Paul wants to certify, make certain that what he preaches and that that word is proclaim, what he proclaims is true. The gospel of the good news of Jesus is not a man-made gospel. It has not been made by man, nor has it been altered by man. There's no human influence in the gospel. Because Paul was preaching not salvation by works, which is man-made, but he was preaching salvation by faith through Jesus by the grace of God. He is preaching a gospel that is Jesus-centred, not man-centred. And I wonder if we can say that today. Is the gospel that we live out and we share out entirely surrounded and at the core, Jesus? certainly worth thinking about as we move into verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was not instructed or guided by a man and his interpretation of the gospel. There was no human source. It wasn't invented or explained or taught to Paul by some ordinary human being. And this is really important to grasp. As an apostle, Paul was to be commissioned by Jesus himself. And this is what the false teachers were really taking exception to because Paul was declaring that Jesus had commissioned him to share the gospel. Yet as Paul points out, it was Jesus who revealed or unveiled the truth of the gospel. Of course, Paul would have known about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus until he wonderfully stepped into his life. So the big question we're asking here is, how does Paul go about proving to this doubting church 
that not only is his conversion real, but the gospel he has since preached is the truth. To prove it, Paul looks at his pre-converted self, his actual conversion on the road to Damascus, and then his post-converted life. So let's look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among the people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul begins to describe his former life, one void of Christ and one as a zealous Jewish leader. And we get a complete list of his credentials in Philippians 3 and from verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This was Paul. His credentials spoke for themselves. He was a zealous Jewish leader. Before he was transformed by Jesus, Paul had sought to take his credentials and destroy the early church before it could even take root. Consider Acts 8.3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul was literally hunting down Christians and ripping them out of society so that the message of Jesus wouldn't expand and spread. Acts 26.10. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but that when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many of them were being locked up by Paul, but more than that, he was regularly voting for them to be put to death. This was Paul. This was him before conversion. He was destroying the church. He was killing Christians. But further to that desire to destroy the church, we read in Galatians that he was advancing in his knowledge and standing in Judaism. Few rivaled his zeal of keeping the law and punishing those who went against it. And so what we see is in his desire to destroy the church and advance Judaism, that in his pre-converted state, Paul had no grounding of the gospel. In fact, his entire life was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before meeting Jesus, Paul truly hated everything that was Christianity. Verse 15. But then he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. While still pursuing this destruction of the church, there was a moment, a wonderful moment that changed everything. There is no human influence that can explain the turnaround that Paul experienced in his life. He was like a freight train destroying everything in his path until Jesus entered his life. God revealed himself through his son Jesus and by his grace set Paul apart for his plans and purposes. This was nothing of Paul, nothing of his credentials. They meant nothing to God. God was in control. God had spoken and it would be so. Uh, we learn of this uh, moment, this defining moment in Paul's life in Acts chapter 9 and from verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Stopped completely in his tracks, God calls Paul to him. But more than that, God then commissions Paul to service and sends him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. He was not influenced by anyone else. This was Jesus in this moment coming before Paul, and it was Jesus himself who was commissioning Paul to serve. Paul is really trying to hit home here that the gospel has changed his life, and that gospel was not man-made, but based entirely on Jesus entering his life. And I hope you're getting the point today that Paul's reason is Jesus. Before he was converted, he hated Christians. His conversion transformed his heart so that he would love Jesus and serve Jesus. This was not about man, not about human influence. This was about Jesus. Verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And notice what happens after Paul meets Jesus. He doesn't travel and go and talk to a bunch of people, gaining their insight and interpretation of what's happened on the road to Damascus. Instead, he spends three years with Jesus in quiet solitude, preparing for his commissioned work. Once again, central to the gospel that saved Paul, Paul wants to now spend time with Jesus and in communion with him, know his Lord and Master more. It was only after three years that Paul went to visit Cephas, that being the Apostle Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. He met no other disciples, no other apostles, no other Christians. And to make sure this is accepted, he affirms the truth by declaring, this is not a lie. This is the facts of what happened. I met Jesus. I had three years with him. Then I met Peter and then I met James. And that's it. That was the sum total of human influence in my life was these two men, because at the core, it is about Jesus. And this is the point he's trying to get across to this Galatian church who is being led astray. Nobody has come on human level to Paul and convinced him of something. This is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Holy One that has grasped hold of Paul's life, transformed it and then commissioned him to preach the gospel. These accusations that are going against Paul are unfounded because they're built on falsity. They're built on false teachers trying to lead people astray. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea and in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Having briefly met Peter and James, 15 days, that's all the time he spent with them, Paul then gets on with the work that Jesus had called him to do. He begins to travel around the early churches and the Gentile regions around the area, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the people were amazed, for this was the man that persecuted them, who destroyed them, who declared that they were worthless to the point of being put in prison and then sentenced to death. Yet now he stands here and declares the love of Christ and salvation in his name. 
And so all this served to glorify God for the people, praise God for the gospel that could change such a wretched soul like Paul, could change their lives. Paul was the living example of gospel transformation. And in reminding the church of this, Paul is proving that both the gospel he preaches and the authority that he preaches with comes from Jesus. The gospel he preaches changed his life and it was Jesus himself who commissioned him to do his work. The Galatian church needs to wake up and see the negative human influence they are taking and and hearing and see that they are leading them astray. They need to return to their first love, that of Jesus Christ and the gospel that transformed Paul's life and get rid of these false teachers who would guide them in the wrong direction. Well, how do we apply this passage to our own lives, especially as we come today to communion and coming before the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, just for a few moments, let me look at some basic applications. Firstly, praise God Jesus saves. Praise God that Jesus saves. Is it not wonderful to read how the gospel can truly transform someone's life? The most wretched Christian hater becoming an ambassador for the gospel of Jesus. And we must praise God that the power of Jesus can change our wicked heart to reflect the glory of our Lord. More than that, God saves us from the wrath and punishment that we deserve and then blesses us with eternal life. David Jeremiah wrote regarding salvation, saving us is the greatest and most concrete demonstration of God's love, the definitive display of his grace throughout time and eternity. Never lose sight of the wonderful love of God to save us while we were still sinners. If you do not know salvation today, know right now that Jesus is waiting and ready to forgive you. Humble yourself before him, submit to him, seek him, and you will find a loving saviour who will not only save you from your sin, but he will give you overflowing forgiveness to live life to the full. Praise God that Jesus saves. The second thing I want you to see is that we are to follow God no other influence. We're to follow God, no other influence. Paul hits this point over and over and over again. Jesus is the focus of the gospel, of his life, of his conversion, and there is no other influence. And I can't stress it more today. To follow Jesus is to do just that, to follow Jesus. Sure, we can be encouraged by a preacher or by a church or or even in a denomination we can be encouraged. But let me be very clear. We do not follow a denomination. We do not follow a preacher. We do not follow an author. We do not follow a great speaker. We follow Jesus. 2 Timothy 4 and from verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We are in that time now. Too many are listening to what makes them feel good. Too many are listening to half-measure gospel messages. Too many are listening to what brings them happiness rather than submission to the Lord. Too many are capitalising on popularity. Look at Paul's life. Look at what it reflects. It reflects only Jesus. Now look at your church. Look at your church leaders. Look at your own life. Can you honestly say that you only reflect Jesus and Jesus alone? 
Friends, today is the day we must draw a line in the sand and say we follow Jesus with no other influence. We're to commit to him completely, surrender to him entirely and come to the communion table today in complete confidence in Jesus alone with no other influence. It's summed up by just simply saying this, salvation in Jesus, no one else. Thirdly, I want you to see this. Come to Jesus, serve Jesus. Come to Jesus, serve Jesus. Notice that Paul wasn't saved to then do nothing. He was saved and then he was sent to serve. We are no different. We are not saved to then sit still and do nothing. We are saved so that we can then serve King Jesus with our lives. Ephesians 2 from verse 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by Jesus and then we're to go and do the good works that Jesus has prepared for us. And the very best of these good works is to share the gospel with others, to bring them to the good news, that they too can have salvation from sin, that they can have a relationship with the Creator God and they can find assurance of eternal life in King Jesus. But it's more than that. We are to serve Jesus in this world. We're to bring his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace, his joy and his hope into it. During this season of COVID-19, we are to act differently, doing the works of God that he has prepared for us. Our message is one of hope, not of despair. Our actions are peaceable, not selfish. Our speech is merciful, not manipulative, and our desire is for Jesus and his kingdom, not for our own selfish gain. You see, our passage today teaches us two things. It's all about Jesus and it's all for Jesus. And so as we approach communion today, we celebrate salvation in Jesus, we proclaim the good news of Jesus, and we say we're all for him and we're all in him, because at the core of everything we do is Jesus. That was Paul's message and that's our message today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and his bold example of what it means to put Jesus at the core. We pray that we would be those people, that Jesus is at the centre, that we're all for him, all about him and all in him. And Father, as we approach communion today, we pray that we would earnestly proclaim the gospel, that we would herald the good news, that Jesus brings salvation. And more than that, Father, we would live it out daily as ambassadors for the gospel. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.